0: This is a crowd podcast.
1: Well, hello to you in this cold and dark month of December. And welcome to another Joe Muller Show classic. Now, this one is something that Joe and I really enjoyed and found stimulating, fascinating, and I suppose slightly scary because it's about being homeless. So, me and Joe met Paddy, who lived on the streets of Birmingham for five years. And I'll be honest, he is one of the most extraordinary people we have ever met. And he will definitely make you think again about homeless people. Here's Paddy.
0: Today's guest is called Paddy. He lived on the streets of Birmingham for five years. Welcome, Paddy.
2: You're right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. You're How you doing, Paddy? (laughs) Paddy, we've got so much stuff to ask you. Okay. We've really been looking forward to this one, haven't we, Joe? Yeah. We've talked about your story. We've talked about what we want to know. And there's so much, but I suppose the first one is that first week that you're homeless, that first night, what's it like? So it's funny because when I first become homeless, um, I never
2: really seen it as homeless. I just thought I was rough sleep, you know, just I think not homeless. I rough slept for one night. So I didn't really see it as anything, you know, I was warm. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm rough sleeping. Um, but then it obviously progressed and it got into more than one night and more than one night and another night. And then I'm getting to a hostel or a shared house. And I, it was something that I wasn't used to. And I wouldn't live in it. I'm not living there, I'm fucking full of junkies, you know, I ain't doing it. Sex offenders. And I, I wasn't I doing it. And I'd rather rough sleep. I ended up in that situation a lot of times, you know and um, rough sleeping for weeks, especially in the summer. So yeah, but at first it wasn't all like, oh, a rough sleeper. You know, I'm only looking back on it now that really was. You'd rather have been on the streets than going into any of the hostels. Some of them, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because of the sort of characters
0: that are used in those hostels.
2: Yeah, so I was a drug addict, and that before I was homeless. I was, you know, I was a, I was a heroin addict, and I was an alcoholic. Um, always lived, always lived in a family home i um, always held down a job, always done something, you know, to get a few quid, I, I wasn't a homeless person or I had a few addiction problems. I used to live at home with my gran and she passed away and basically that's when I ended up homeless, I was out of work, I broke my ankle, couldn't work, lost my job, I'd worked for 10 years in the same job. And I um, ended up a homeless junkie, let's say, but <laughs> like the run-of-the-mill homeless person with a drug problem. But like, that wasn't my past, you know. Oh, I had a drug problem, yeah, and a drink problem. But then when, me old, when the old lady died, it escalated everything, you know. I was on heroin, I used more, I was on drink, I drunk more. I ended up started smoking legal oil as well. Look, a homeless drug that was. I, I class it as a homeless drug, Mamba. What? Just on that, what's
0: Mamba? Because to me, Mamba is, is either a snake, a nickname for Kobe Bryant, or a mate of mine. But we won't go down the route why he's called Mamba. <laughs> so it's clearly a different
2: Mamba. So Mamba's, um, the spice they call it. It's right. It looks like cannabis, but it's chemically, you know, it's man-made um, with all different kind of chemicals. And I'm guessing it's bad. Oh God, it's bad. It's bad. Put you out. Put you out. <laughs> Definitely. You say
1: that Joe's a big man. It don't matter. All
0: right. Yeah, Tom. I don't think we're not here to discuss <laughs> what drugs or drugs <laughs> I'm going to take. <laughs> Let's just try and keep it a little bit, you know, on the on the slightly legal side. Although you said it's legal, did you?
2: No, it was legal at the time. It's been. It's. They had shops that used to sell it. Oh, um, but now it's illegal. Yeah, they had shops that sell it. They used to be legal. So that was the, that's what you call
1: mamba now. Call it spice or mamba, yeah. I was on that as well. And that was a bad drug. It was bad. Paddy, you're about six foot tall, aren't you? Yeah. When you were living on the street, is it true you got down to nine stone? Yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. Nine stone? That's one of Joe's legs. (laughs) Yeah, I was thin, man. I was really thin. And that's the addiction, is it?
2: Well, the addiction, not eating, It's, it's all mixed in the lifestyle, you know i probably ate chicken and chips in a day, a little chicken and chips for a pound, that'd be my meal and I'd ate fat, that was a good feed, you know, it was hot food, I had a hot meal, you get, so I used to get my energy from drinking cans of beer, that'd be my, the sugar and all that and whatever but I never really ate a lot, I think I'm back 14, in stone
0: I? Between your nan dying yeah. and you then becoming a rough sleeper or homeless, what, what's the time length in that? Yeah, it was straight away. Straight away. It was straight away, yeah. Straight away. That's what absolutely, not amazes me, but scares the life out of me Yeah, that it can happen like that.
2: Yeah, it was straight away.
0: People, you know, I've lived a a pretty, Tom, you've also lived a pretty privileged life. I've lived a pretty privileged Mm -hmm. life and always thought it takes so much down the line before actually reaching that point of being homeless or or out in the streets. You know, a lot has to happen. A lot has to happen for it to to resort to that. But you just said pretty much straight away. It was straight away. As soon as your Nan died,
2: you're out, You're out. Of, I presume, out of her home. So we've got a big family and that. See, our family never got, I'm not giving you a sob story, but we never come from money. We had no, we got no money in our family, you know, pretty much. Yeah. You went to work, you got your money. That was that. We didn't have funds and savings and big cars and, you know, we never had none of that stuff. So once my old girl died, that was it. I was out of work, you know, I never had no savings. I was a heroin addict, I was on a script. So, um, yeah, I was on the streets. I went to the job, went to the job centre, broke my leg. And I never signed on, I I always worked. Hang on, did you break it on the way to the job centre? No, but because I knew, because I was out of work, I'm thinking we'll go to to the job centre. They said, you can't sign on because you can't work. So they're telling me about sickness and all that, and I couldn't get no money for ages, which made it worse. So I'd never knew how to claim benefits at the time. You know, I'd always done, I'd always worked. And it wasn't an easy process. I'd never had to go and find housing. I never knew how it worked. So I ended up homeless. In the, I got banned from the housing for kicking off in there. You know, okay, my nan's just died. I've got nowhere to go. And they wouldn't see me. I got banned from there, I got banned from the job centre, banned from everywhere. But they didn't realise, at the back of it all, my head had gone, man. My old lady had just died and I couldn't conduct myself properly. I never had no one to help me with it.
1: No one teaches you for that stuff, do they? No one, no one tells you how to behave and no one, no one says to you when the person you love more than anyone else leaves. No one says to you, hey, this is this is easy, Paddy. What you do is number one, number two, yeah. and number three. And then obviously the smell of drink on you and it's like,
2: you know, and they don't get it. And then, And then you kind of end up hating on society for it. And that's kind of how it wins. When you're out there, are you actually alone?
0: Do you feel alone, or are there enough people around in in similar situations that you form a bit of community, or is it not like that? No,
2: you, you're alone. So there's a community that you might, when you wake up, if you get a, a spot to sleep or you sleep somewhere, all right, that you might meet up the next day and score your drugs off the same kind of people and all kind of huddle together. Who's got you know what I mean? Wait for your drugs and stuff. But no, you're you're alone. So it is pretty much dog-eat-dog dog world. It's lonely and you got to... Yeah. So you wake up in the night, you don't know if you're going to get a kick in. If someone walks past you, well, you got to watch where you're sleeping. You don't know if drunks are going to walk past you. You don't know what's going to happen. So you got to be careful where you sleep, you know, all that kind of stuff.
1: What sort of places do you look for? Like, for people who know Birmingham and they know the middle of town, like, when you're... Every night, I guess, when you're looking for somewhere safe, what's going through your mind? What are you are you thinking... Like, train station, are you thinking? an underpass, is there little parts or parks you can sneak into? Well, I I used to for a bit, right? There was these subways in Birmingham. It's a city of subways, Birmingham, isn't it? But what it was, there's this part
2: where they used to prescribe you methadone and all that, so it's near to the CGL, it's called, it's near to the drug, you know, the drug agency. And they do housing and that in there, so I slept under there for weeks, trying to get housing on the morning, you know, trying to get housed, but getting knocked back. So I slept under there for weeks. I slept under the coach station because there's shelter there. And at least by the coach station, it's on the main road. You know, so you know you're pretty safe. Oh, as safe as you can be. You know, you're on the main road. You're sheltered. There's a big shelter there. Do you know what I used to do? There's a bus. There's a bus in Birmingham. It runs all night. Lovely warm bus. Warm bus, I swear to God. Pay your fare. Just keep going round. Beg your fare, Go round. You're legal. Look, there's my ticket. And then I might get into a hostel for a few nights or a few weeks just
0: depends what are the hostel facilities actually like are they that big a step up from being on the street that no. you're like fucking hell I wish I was here all the time <laughs> or are they that underfunded that it's as big a shithole as you can think
2: so imagine they throw you into a box room with a, a mattress in the bed and a mattress and they never send sheets you know unless you get a really nice hostel you might get sheets there is some better hostels out there you know there is there is some hostels out there that will do a bit more for you but obviously, they're a bit pickier. They, pick you know, so they don't want homeless drug addicts in their hostels, do they? Let's have it right. Alcoholic drug addicts, they don't really want
1: it. So you're right down at the bottom of the pecking order, they look at you and they go, oh hang on, we can smell booze, so you've lost 10 points for that, and then they can see you've got an addiction, that's another 20 points gone.
2: You gotta look at it realistically, and you're a fire hazard for starters. If you're drunk and you're having a smoke, and that, I'd say you could cause a fire. You could cause aggro if you, if you had a time you want to get a bit drunk and disorderly. There, so, so it's a lot that they have to put up with. So, reflecting on it all, I can see why um, it's not a great place to be, which is why a lot of the homeless community be, will be drunk and drug addicts. You know, I do get it. Tell us
0: about um, uh, what it's like in winter, mate. Like because I can imagine it's not a, of course it's not appealing this is the issue but when I fucking come out with words it sounds worse than what I mean <laughs> obviously being homeless is not appealing but what I mean is in a fucking english summer it's probably a lot easier physically to be homeless than it is in the winter i look at some of the homeless people that have been about london or brighton it's quite a big amount of homelessness in in brighton and during the winter, mate, they're fucking freezing, or they look freezing, and it breaks my heart. Yeah. Because I think, fucking hell, it's going to get, like, minus tonight. How are you coping with that? What's a winter like on the streets?
2: So, so I'm lucky. I, I've slept out in the winter, definitely I have, and it's cold. So, I'm lucky because I've got indoors, went in freezing temperatures, you know, I've, <laughs> I'd sleep anywhere It's one of them. If it's freezing, it's freezing. But I've known people who have froze to death on the streets. I know a guy, I was in a rehab with a guy. He got kicked out for using, but he froze to death about four years ago. Um, You know, that's what happens to people. It's tough. That's the reality of it, definitely. It's not a joke.
1: There's always things, I don't know if you find this joke, when you're walking through town or something and you see people on the streets rough sleeping, and I always wonder what the backstory is that's taken them there. And then I also wonder how quickly you feel invisible to people because we're all used to homeless people now in Britain in a very strange way and the majority of people will walk past. And then I think of it from your perspective, Paddy, and you've been living with your nan and then she's passed away and you're out. Do you just feel like you've gone invisible to people?
2: Yeah, definitely. When, when you see, see in, the, in the road and not sleeping in the road, all that goes, self-consciousness, the whole lot, the shit that we, we grow up with and worried about how you look and it it goes, you know, that you're a shadow, your former self. Yeah, it takes it away from you, it does. It does it, that just goes, you know. So all, all years ago, I wouldn't I wouldn't go out without on impressing my jeans and everything, my socks, boxes, you know. And then years down the line to, you know, just happy to get saw your face in McDonald's, it's just different. Paddy, just I don't think you should have ever pressed
0: your socks or your pants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just to pick up on that that you wasting your time on your socks and your pants. But you know, <laughs> each to their own. You talk, uh, uh, you, you mentioned there about swilling your face in McDonald's. How'd you go about washing that? How'd you go about keeping yourself clean? Like you said, like you were surely, or you strike me as someone that has a certain level of self-respect that you want to yeah. keep yourself clean you, you don't just want to fucking be that tramp or that smelling do you know what i mean it doesn't give a fuck you, you strike me as someone that actually does have a, a level of self-respect
2: so there's different levels and the different levels of people and homelessness so you can be homeless and still be clean you know so when i was homeless i wouldn't sleep in my trainers i ain't having smelly feet i might be homeless i ain't having it <laughs> <laughs> <For> standards <laughs> no so there's certain levels that, uh, I fucking love that <laughs> I don't sleep with betrayers trainers because I don't want smelly feet you fuckers I like it no I might have been on road and whatever but yeah. I've never had smelly feet and just because I'm spending a bit of time out on the street you know I'm in a, a bad place in my life I ain't going there so for me to take my shoes off and cover my feet up a bit better I slipped on my trainers as well, so they never got nicked on the night. <laughs> okay, someone come and took me trainers off while I was asleep. But there's ways and means that you can go into somewhere, you go to McDonald's and have a wash down or into you know, you can go places, there's places in the city where you can go and get showers, homeless charities, drop ins, you can go and get a bit of food and that. so there is places that cater for that still. But yeah, it's not nice, you know. You touched on there, saying that there's different levels. Yeah.
0: Obviously, there's different levels of people in any walk of life, but people that it's
2: forced upon them, um, going through a bad period in their life. So, there's all sorts of different, different levels characters. See, Christmas, it's good begging, it's good money. They pick up a lot of dough. So And I says to him, I said, listen, you can still come to town begging, but you need somewhere to live. You'll freeze to death up here. And then their heads are telling them to stay up the town. The money's there, uh, not for a better lifestyle, though, for drugs. For Just, yeah, just yeah. for their drugs, you know. Those are
0: the sort of homeless guys and girls that give homelessness that big a bad reputation. Yeah. Because you get other people that hear that, you know, the snobbery or the, the more affluent people that go, well, bloody hell, you know, that we're offering them bloody co- accommodation and they're not bloody taking it, so more for them. But, well, there's a complete lack of understanding yeah. behind the addiction side of it. Do you think those sort of attitudes are what's sort of stopping real progress and
2: real help for for homelessness? There's good money, especially Christmas. People just give the generous, you know. It's in us and it, it's bred into us to be generous at Christmas. Things are on the TV and people play on it. People go out Christmas to earn extra cash. Where do you earn the most dough? I remember me being homeless. The best spots were always around. You know, car parks in the mornings, yeah. Train stations, you know, where there's a lot of commuters. And then you get times as well. Commuting times is a big one where you'll get um, outside food shops like Greg's. You know, because people going to
1: buy food, they've got that little guilt thing going, oh, I'm eating you or not. What would it cost someone then if if someone has got a, sm- a smack addiction and they are, how much do they need to make every day? So you're looking 100 quid a day, minimum, ain't you?
2: Nine out of ten people are injecting crack as well, crack and heroin, snowballing. So you're you, you feeding two addictions, aren't you? So, yeah, more than a Japan to die. Hang on.
1: But I'm like Joe, I struggle to get my head around that. But that is is that because Joe and I have never experienced the force of an addiction? That's definitely the addiction. Yeah. That's taking someone over. Yeah. So they choose,
2: they choose a drug before they choose clothes or a house or whatever. You choose the drugs every time. So like you said, Tom, you know, we haven't suffered from an
0: addiction I mean I I haven't I've I've flirted with a with a couple of things particularly prescription wise but you know I've always been able to be alright but you you spoke about giving money that they'll do it because they know people will give that extra during Christmas are you suggesting that you don't give
2: homeless people money so so if you're gonna so like I work for shelter at the minute the crack was with me I was homeless you know I was sat there sat on some steps of a Catholic church in the city and some woman approached me and I was drinking a can of special brew I think I was on a crutch at the time and she worked for shelter you know I never knew nothing about them at the time and she was an expert by experience that's someone like myself who's been there seen it done it drugs you know the whole show she'd lived that but she'd come out the other end when she got talking to me she explained her story and basically she started supporting me she got me into housing and then Within six months, you got me into rehab. But if people are giving money, just it could be the last money that you're ever giving that person because that could be for their next fix, you know. And and, and I don't know, they might overdose from that, they might not. But if you're going to give to someone, give to give to a charity to support them because they do support them. Well, I'm fucked now, aren't
0: I? Because <laughs> me, and, me and my missus. When when we go to places like Brighton or we go we go up to London, we take the kids out for the day and the kids have started asking, oh, what's what's wrong with that man? Daddy, what's what, what's wrong with that lady over there? Why is she on her own? Why is she all wrapped up? What's the matter with her? Why is she just seeing? And We're like, well, fucking hell. I'm not going to turn around and say, oh, she's a massive druggy son. Steer clear of her. But a lot of the time I'd be like, right, here's a fiver, here's a tenner. Go and give it to that person there. At the train station, or go and give it to that person there on the, on the street so that they get a little bit of understanding of it's important to give. And now you've just mm. completely fucking shot me down and <laughs> gone, don't be giving out that money.
2: But Joe, there's other ways to do it, no? So why don't you go? That person is homeless. When you go and give them some food, or mm. not in my warm clothing, you know, obviously you've got to think about, look at the bigger picture. What got that person homeless in the first place? Mm. So really, you're just feeding feeding the addiction, ain't you? You know what's what's the going to do? It's not going to house them. They're not going to save it all together and go and get an accommodation, are they? It's for the drug. Make it makes a bit easier for an hour or two. And that's what you're doing. You're feeding the addiction, and you're not helping the problem.
0: Yeah, that's what you recommend. You say, look, go get them some food, go get them some clothing, rather than just chuck a load of cash because it's easier. It's easy for us, isn't it? Yeah, it clears your conscience, doesn't it? You think you're doing good, but you're actually not. You're making the problem worse for them.
2: I do it still myself. I'll get paid at the end of the month, and I'll see someone, and I'll think, and I know what it's for, so I, I, I do it still. And obviously, there can't be one of my clients, but I'll see. I'll oh, give them three, four, five quid or whatever, and it makes you feel that bit better, but you're not really, you know, it could be the last time you're giving that person money, and that's what you need to weigh up.
1: Right, so we're going to do an ad break, and I know that's annoying because this is a very good episode, and um, I would accept, Joe, that if people want they could skip the ads, we'll just come back in a few minutes.
0: Right, they were the adverts, brilliant. But Paddy, we've got a lot of questions for you.
1: Uh, Tom, I'll let you go uh, next. You go. How did it happen for you, Paddy? How did your How did your addiction begin? Because it's one of these things where I'm sure every Every addict starts off, yeah. never intending to be. No one No one launches into addiction happily, do they? No.
2: Nah. So my, mine was like go up at my nuns.
1: Didn't go up at
2: like, with my mum and that. And um, my nan had sixteen kids, you know loads of kids. Fucking hell. Yeah, Irish kind of descent, you know? <laughs> that kind of thing, no telling. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, no, when I moved in, when I went there, I was only a baby, And a lot of them had left home, but like, I think drinking was a big thing around our age. You know, a lot of my uncles were boozers and that. So at an early age, I started drinking. Working, I worked and, you know, I went to the pub after work and that kind of stuff, and that's how it started. I was an alcoholic by the time I was 17. Looking back now I used to stand outside the pub shaking, with my hands shaking. I had to pick up my point with two hands because of the shakes was that bad, but I never realised I was an alcoholic. And then it progressed, I don't know, I started going out nightclubs, I'd done all the club scene and the pills and the speed and the coke, and then it progressed, crack cocaine. By the time I'm 21 I tried heroin, and I got hooked on heroin. Where did you try it? I tried it, do you know, the first time I was with one of my pals fishing. And he had this stuff on his silver paper and it smelled fun and what's that? I've tried most drugs, what's that? i never heard of that. And he said it's the gear. And I had a few of these lines of this stuff. You know, it felt strange. And I, I thought, yeah, I've done loads of stuff, you know, I have drugs. And I thought I was a bit, I thought I was above everything. I could control everything and I couldn't. And I never realised. And not so long later, I tried it again. I was working still in this factory. And this lad who was there, we both used to go, get paid on the Friday. Get this gear and smoke the gear, Chasing the Dragon, I called it. Used to do a bit of that, weekends. Then I remember I lost my job. Over one thing, I left the job or whatever. I started feeling bad, but I didn't know why. And then I, I'd ask someone about it, and they said, you're withdrawing, basically, from heroin. I was, all, I was really nice dressed and really, you know, had nice garments, designer jeans and all that. And slowly and slowly and slowly that stuff all went. And I'd never really been a thief. And I never knew how to a robber, I wasn't, you know, I've been brought up to go to work, work, and you know, that's all we've got is. And um, I started stealing to so form a habit, um, shoplifting, you know, minim- minim- I tried to minimise on crime, you know, I didn't want to hurt no one. So it was just shoplifting from not hurting no one. And I've done it, you know, I was doing it for many years on heroin and I went to prison several times for petty crime. I think I went to prison more times for not going to court than I did for the actual crime. You know, very small sentences. And then that went on for about 10 years. Always on the heroin. 10 years. And then it was like I'd made it. I got a job. I could fund my habit. You know, I was big the game. And I went on for another 10 years and working for heroin. And then towards the later end, drinking as well. Do you know, I told you I lived, went to live with my nan, yeah? Yeah. So what, what happened? So my proper mum, my birth mum, I never got with her. I had three brothers who lived with her. I'm younger than me, so. So when I first started on the heroin, they was also kind of, we all started around the same time. So where, where the area I grew up in, a lot of the lads was on it. It was like, a lot of the lads I went to school with was on heroin. It was mad. So we all kind of started smoking it together. So it's like, that's how I built a relationship. So with my brothers on heroin. And then we used to go out shoplifting for it. And like, even looking back, we had some good laughs on it. You know, <laughs> You know, believe it or not, <laughs> nicking out of shops, four of us going, four brothers going into the shops and it was like, it come on top, the security guard had chased us and I go, oh, come on lads, there's four of us and then chasing the security guard off, basically taking what we wanted out of sh- you know, it was kind of a force to be reckoned with at the time, it was pretty well known um, on the local area, always wanted by the police, but only for petty stuff and that's how we got poor, you know, and we all used to use heroin together. And we formed a bond. I'm gone. I know it was in the greatest bond, but. look, like train spotters. I mean, I think there's other healthier ways
0: to form bonds with your brothers. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to judge. How long have you been clean for? So January, I'll be four years clean. What moment, do you remember the moment that went, fuck, I've had enough of this?
2: Do you know what I told you? That lady got me into rehab. Yeah, Colette. That was about five years ago. She got me into rehab. And I was on the drink, was doing my livers, it was like, my livers was wrecked. So when I went into rehab, I come off the drink, you know, successfully at that time. But I got kicked out for smoking the mamba. But that was helping with the um, withdrawal off the drink. So I was out there for eight months, back on the mamba, back on the heroin. And because I'd had a taste of getting clean and I knew what it was like, you know, I knew there was a better life, you know what, I just knew. Christmas, four years ago, I went and knocked on my mum's door. Mary her name is, when I knocked on her door and I said, can I stay? I'd never leave with. if I don't, you know, I don't really class her as me mum even. I call her Mary, you know, she's like an auntie. And I said, can I stay? I want to get clean. And she's going, you can stay, but she's not have me taking drugs in the bathroom. I ain't having it, because I'd always done it over the years. I knocked on the door and gone and used in her house. And I said, no, I swear, I want to get clean. And, um, it's got me down there, Christmas. Um, I never used, and it was hard, man, it was fucking hard, I tell you. And the drug dealers right now, there, everyone knew. And I was on methadone, I used to get a taxi to go and get my methadone every day. I didn't want to use, I just had enough. And methadone's a, a substitute, is it, for... For heroin, yeah. I was on that and stopped the mamba, and I just used to go and get a taxi and get that every day. And I started doing, like, meetings, like, mutual aid meetings. You've got, like, NA and that, AA, that kind of stuff. I started doing meetings. You know, we're not really spiritual and that, but they just helped me. There was other drug addicts in there who wanted to get clean, they wanted the same stuff as me, started doing them, moved into these houses, local t- in Birmingham, these dry houses, and they're beautiful houses, you know, supported housing, Wi-Fi, warm rooms, TVs, and from where I'd come from, it was just nice, nice that people <laughs> actually, would, and they even come around and drug test you, yeah, you know, so it's what I wanted, I was in a shit old hostel, I was in somewhere that actually support you to stay clean, so everything that I wanted, and do you know the mad thing, right, it was weird because before my nan died, six months before she died, they moved her into this old people's home, right? and um, I never knew. My head was shot, and they moved me into this fucking dry house. And it was on the same road where my nan, the old people's home. Ah. There's, I think there's 250,000 postcodes as well in Birmingham. And the chances? The odds are that. And that's all my nan ever wanted was for me to get clean. Is that part of the reason
0: that keeps you clean, that keeps you going now to sort of make her proud? Whether you're spiritual or believe that she's looking over you or that now, but you'd, that feeling of not wanting to disappoint her now that you've been four years clean, you want to you want to keep on top of that.
2: Well, I go up the grave, right, and I get these key rings from the, from the NA and and like, every time you six months or a year clean, you get these key rings. So I go up the grave and put my key ring on the grave. Nice, and there's some flowers and that. You know, have a chat to her. Yeah, um, so I, you know, I try. I know
1: I never done it while she was there, but. You know, I've got the best intentions and better late than never, I suppose. With all the things that you've been through, Paddy, stuff that me and Joe really find it very hard to imagine, like, what does it do for your self-esteem now? Because when you're an addict, you do things that you wouldn't do if you weren't an addict and things that you're not proud of. Yeah. Do you look back on that as like a different Paddy or do you just think, this is, this is who I am, that's what my life has been? Sometimes I don't really see the progression in it. I don't really see it. I know I've been clean for years.
2: I know that. That's that's my progression. But then again, do you know what? I just didn't hurt myself Have I been picked up. Someone tells me, they've been three or four years clean, I'll say, thank you for stopping being a drain on society. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm pretty um, blunt with it, but um, that's all I haven't done. I haven't, you know, I haven't hurt myself and I haven't harmed no one else. I'm just trying to live the right way. I started to work again like I used to. But this time I'm using my lived experiences to help others. So you know what, it's a job, and I ain't missing. You know, one, I'm I'm helping people still. Tougher than my last job, but what was your last job? Used to work in a window factory. Jesus, that's quite a change, isn't it? No, you, you make a window or a door, and it's fixed. And you see what you've made: the patio slides, the door locks. Jobs are good, one. now a person. You don't you just hard <laughs> <the line laughs> work, and They don't listen. <laughs> You're there, and you're like, why can't you be as easy as a winder? I can make I can make doors and windows look like, oh. nice, you know. That I can make them all perfect.
1: <laughs> but with People it's just different class. <laughs> and you're a peer mentor at Shelter now, and you're helping people who are in your your old position. Is that given you a like a new sense of purpose? That's more than a job doing what you do, isn't it? That's not just earning a few beans. I'm really relaxed at it. It's more the paperwork
2: side. Of it. It's just. I'm like, come on, fix up, man. <laughs> Look, I talk to them differently to what your professional support worker would talk to them. But do you find that you get
0: more out of them? Because, sure. like you said about Colette, you responded to her because she spoke to you so well about her experiences and you could relate more to her as opposed to someone who'd been educated and it was like, come on, we've got to get you off the street rather than actually giving you a real raw experience do you find that the people you work with now because you can relate they actually respond better to you
2: well they know i'm not talking through me ask to them don't they? they know i've been there they can t- i don't even have to tell them they know a lot of them know me i've seen it gone, i know you you know they know yeah. they just know anyway if they don't know your face I've, been, I've lived in all my life so if i'm not known they've heard about me yeah
1: or they'll just know the way to pick up on the way i talk to them they can just tell so maybe this isn't a very easy question to answer, but if there's one thing this Christmas we can all do, what's that one thing? Don't give
2: them money. Give them some else, give them something warm, give them something to eat. No you know, help that way. Or give to a charity, give someone who will help them. Don't give them money. Don't make sense. All you're doing is keeping a problem there. Let's try and find a solution
1: for it. It's the easiest thing in the world to donate to shelter, isn't it?
2: It's not rocket science, is it? You know, so they supported me to get me where I am and could support projects like that. It's where my money would go. Three quid or something, it's not going to feel it, are you? Simple. So, where
1: are you chatting to us from today, Paddy? I'm in my home. So, I'm, I live with my partner. We've got a little boy, Patrick. Decent name. <coughs> Where'd you get the idea for that one from?
2: So, do you know what it was? So, <laughs> no, so my name, do you know my name? My name's Royston. Is it? Yeah, my granddad's boy, fuck on. Jesus, Not a mad name. Ah, they're new. No feck, shite, bugger, her, feck. Who he wouldn't have it. So they called me Patrick, and that's the name that stuck with me over the years. So when, when I've had me boy, I thought, yeah, we'll call him Patrick, you know, Patrick. My granddad would love that. How old is he? He's 14 months the other day.
1: Oh, bless him.
2: Um, and we got a girl on the way, she's due in two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. She's due from the twenty first. My is gonna have a C section. of planned one from the twenty first yeah. to the
1: twenty sixth. Right, Paddy. Uh, speaking from experience, Joe and I would tell you to fill your boots for the next thirteen days. <laughs> Just fill <go> all out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there'll be no time
0: for there'll be no time for podcasts like this in about fourteen days, mate. Not a
1: chance. <laughs> your pod days are over.
2: <laughs> what was your partner's name? Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, she's good as gold. She's good. Where'd you meet her? I met her in the dry house. Remember, I told you, was in the recovery house. Yeah. She sees in recovering drug addict as well. They call them dry houses because you dry of drinking drugs and it clean. No, we met in the same organisation, different houses, and we got kicked out for having a relationship. So we got kicked out of there and was homeless again. <laughs> I've been clean
1: 12 months and I'm fucking homeless again. Who blames who at that point? Yeah, listen, oh, for fuck's sake.
2: Well, I blamed her because I said, well, what you told them for? You know, what did you tell them that we're together? She's in love, Paddy. She wants to tell the world. She's no, I know. I said, I said, you've caught me here. Ain't you? I know
0: what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's very clever from her. She's gone, look, <laughs> I need to know how committed he is to me here. <laughs> So I'm gonna drop us both in it. I'm gonna go the extreme here, and we're both gonna get kicked out. And if he stays with me, he's the one.
2: Well, she knows that now, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, she's done you there. She's yeah. done you there a tree. <laughs> you get expecting a daughter in two weeks. Yeah, Florence, we've named her after Milan. Oh, amazing, amazing, mate. So they can't give us an exact date, but they said it will be from the 21st till the 26th.
1: Well, hang on a second. <laughs> that's what they've told us. If they start telling you there's no room at the hospital and they want you to go to a stable, that's a red flag, yeah?
0: <laughs> yeah, but you'd handle a stable piece of piss now.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, you see three men come, come around me, give something,
2: what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Paddy, I said to
0: you before we uh, before we started recording, when Tom was late, may I add. Um, Sorry. That's fine, but just to know that you're meant to be the pro in this and yet you're late. Yeah. Sorry again. And I said to you that out of all the ones I'd done or we'd done so far, this was the most nervous I'd felt. Knowing your backstory, hearing your backstory, not wanting to put my foot in it, not wanting to upset you, not wanting to to offend anyone like that. And I was just like, oh, fucking hell, I'm nervous here. What if I really fuck him off? What if I say something wrong, et cetera, et cetera. But then the thing, and within two minutes of talking to you, I was like, I really like this guy. I really like what he's about. I like the warmth in the way he's... Talking. Not only not only your accent,
2: because I said to you, I fucking like, I really like <laughs> your accent. That's why I put my... I didn't even know I was <laughs> <He laughs> like that. Do you, am I doing a good accent or not? <laughs> no. Is he
0: talking <laughs> to the South African? <laughs> Paddy, thank you so much. Um, I, I've really, really loved talking to you, hearing your story, getting a darker insight into to how hard it is to actually live on the streets. And I feel a huge sense of pride without having met you or or know you properly to see how far you've come in the four years that you've been clean. You've got a little babber called Patrick, and you've got another one on the way, and you've <laughs> got a lovely missus. And please, please, I know you will keep on with that stuff, mate, because mm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. they're everything. You want, you want to give Patrick, you want to give Florence everything. And... Uh, I think you're doing a fucking brilliant job. Thank you. Thanks a lot, mate. I appreciate you coming on.
1: Cheers. Thank you. So there you go. That was Paddy. That was about being homeless. I hope you enjoyed that as much as Joe and I did. I hope it also gives you a little bit of food for thought in December. Another classic episode of The Joe Myler Show will be out the same time next week. If you enjoyed this one, dive into the back catalogue and fill your boots. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.